This is the Baileys. It's almost sounded like geared ripped. And I couldn't see Dana because Dan and Alex are still about 30 minutes to our left and around the corner. And then I heard silence. And I was like, fuck, they're dead. The Bad List is supported by Wild Earth. This episode is also sponsored by Adventure Reels TV, your exclusive online streaming service for the latest and greatest adventure films. You can win one of five Adventure Reels TV vouchers simply by tagging a friend on any image on our Instagram account at The Bad List. I'm Nicole Robbs. In this episode, I speak to Kyle Addy and Dan Cox, who were chasing a second ascent on Mount Barney in southeast Queensland with two mates, when a sudden accident in a remote spot presented a real test of their self-rescue skills. Check it out. My name is Kyle Addy. Um, I've been climbing for a couple of years anyway. So two, two years? Or, yeah, two or three years or something like that. Um... Mostly trad climber, I spend most of my time at Frog Buttress. Well, I've done a lot of bushwalking, that's how I got into climbing, but, and then I got into doing like more, more hard trad routes, I suppose, like the frog style, and then brand quarter trousers at Frog, and then a couple other um, harder, slightly more scarier trad routes at Frogs too. Um, so yeah, don't really climb bolts very much, but um, I, do, I do enjoy all aspects of climbing. So my name is Dan Cox. And I have been climbing for um, not quite two years now, actually. Um, which isn't very long, I suppose, when you think about it, actually. Sort of got into it and got hooked and kind of trying to overcome my fear of heights or whatever. And, and then it just, yeah, I just literally probably just became addicted to it. And it just, it very much took over and became a lifestyle thing for me. Hi, Kyle and Dan. Thanks so much for having a chat with me today. Thanks for having us. Yeah, cheers, Nick. The first thing I want to know is how did you feel about sharing this story with me? I mean, I was just sort of happy just to tell a story because it's a cool story. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> it's a good party story. I just wondered because obviously there's a bit of trepidation sometimes about sharing a story about a, you know, something that's gone wrong, yeah. right? I mean, it didn't get wrong for me, so I'm fine. No, I think from, yeah, in, I, I suppose in my position, no, I think it was good when you explained that what, what the idea behind the podcast is going to be. I was really stoked about that. Just so that people uh, get an idea about what it was you were actually doing, uh, just tell me a little bit about it, what the name is, you know, and what the nature of the route is. I mean, funny enough, we didn't, we know about as much as anyone else really yeah. about the route. So the only information there there is is pretty much as a dotted line up a picture and it's called unknown number two <laughs> <laughs> and it's on mount barney on mount barney on isolated peak on okay. the north face i suppose it faces north mm. yeah. um yeah it's um re- yeah it's like i said it's just a dotted line that goes up the face so we just walked into um in the vicinity of where this dotted line is and then we ended up just start climbing we had a party of four was um, myself, Alex Moogie, and um, Ryan Siachi, and Dan. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a trad route, right? Yeah, trad route. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, there's... I, I don't know... As far as I know, I know no one else has been like, in trad besides the first ascensionist. 
And so no, nobody else has gone anywhere near that part of the face. Right. And you said before that you are not even sure if you were on the line when uh, you were yeah. on it. Al- I was coming with Ryan and then Dan was coming with Alex and we we're about 30 metres apart just going straight up and... I have no idea if any yeah. of us are either on the route or one of us is on the route or, or not. So, um, the, yeah, there was barely any description for it. It was kind of just like, the line of least resistance. Exactly. And it's like, it's a slab. So, what was your sort of objective of the day? Was it to figure out where this where this line was? Yeah, it was kind of, I suppose, the main goal was to actually find the line and climb it. But it was, and then plan B was kind of just like, if we can't find the line, we'll just climb anyway, just get yeah. to the top somehow. So we just didn't really have a plan, we just sort of rocked up just to try and give it a good go. Mm-hmm. Um, well, Ryan, be- Ryan had found those like old scrappy trip reports of these two dudes that had supposedly put up the route with the dotted line. Oh, yeah. yeah. And then he thought, yeah, let's go and do it. And, you know, we were psyched and he was psyched. And so kind of just went from there, I suppose. Yeah. And uh, talk to me about, um, you know, the experience levels in the party. Who was sort of leading the trip? Who was less experienced? Oh, def- I was definitely the least experienced, I would say. <laughs> well, I'm as as the least, I suppose. Yeah. I mean, Ryan is together trip and Ryan, like, has, I don't know, he's been climbing for it forever. Yeah. You know, he works at Mount Barney Lodge. He's on Barney, like, like for work. Um, he's been all around the world climbing, all around Australia climbing. He's very, very experienced. And same with Alex, he's been climbing all around Australia. Really experienced trade climber. Um, I'm not that experienced either. I've been climbing for very long. Me and Dan have been climbing for about the same amount of time. And we haven't really done that many adventure trade routes specifically. And we've just, you know, we've just done trade climbing at Frog. So, and the original plan when we're going to climb with that. Alex and Ryan were going to climb together and then Dan and I were going to climb together as well. And I said to Ryan the night before, and I said, you're putting the two like most experienced Gumbies. people together and then the two the like Gumbies, Gumbies yeah. together. <laughs> and uh, I said, maybe it's like for like a safer option if we just switched it up, you know, it's like if Alex climb with Dan and I climb with Ryan, then we're just getting like the best of both worlds, you know? Yeah, that's pretty smart. On your part to yeah. have made that call, I think. Oh, um, I was just nervous. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about how you sort of started the day. Did you have any conversations about like what you might encounter, what kind of you know safety measures, or what kind of approach you would take, anything like that? Um, God, not really. Not that I can remember. We sort of traipsed in yeah, we winged, along we lower, lower portals and then, and then just. Busted up. We saw a lot um, isolated peak at least, and just mm. basically beelined it for the for the cliff there. And I don't know. It took us like an hour and a bit to get in. Yeah, I think yeah, something like that. It wasn't it doesn't take that long to get in there really. No. And it's pretty easy walk until you get to like the last half an hour, which is something even more rocky and steep. And you should get to the face. And yeah, we just sort of rocked up and we're trying to find out where this line was, and we just oh. We'll start climbing here and you start climbing over there. We just started climbing, really. Now that I do think about it, yeah, it was very casual. It was very <laughs> casual, was very wasn't like, it? Oh, we're just going to start up here and you guys can start up there and we'll meet you halfway or whatever. Yeah, basically, yeah. <laughs> so you actually started up, the, your two different parties started up two different lines, yeah. technically. Yeah. yeah. We were using twin ropes, so there's two ropes, so two parties with two ropes each. And um, yeah, we just, I think Alex just sort of started up this sort of feature more like a crack and then Ryan and I started up more like a um, a weakness I suppose of like ledges and stuff and then just 
yeah, Ryan just sort of started climbing and just, just where he found gear, just he the pitch went, oh, it was like a Z, a Z and a Z and a Z, and then eventually went for like sixty meters, and then he was we contemplating un- untying the rope because there was so much rope drag, wow. <laughs> one of the ropes. Yeah, I think it was a similar thing for the first pitch with Alex and I. Alex just set up up this like scoop, found a bunch of gear, and then did this huge traverse across the left underneath this like weird roofy thing and then busted up up around the corner and did this huge dog leg up to this tree and it was so on the limit of the we were climbing on these 60 ropes and it was literally on the limit as Alex was reaching this tree that he was on the blade I'd literally like I'd taken him off the blade I was stepping off the ground (laughs) it was so stretched that yeah it was hectic and we got really lucky that he managed to reach the tree at like the 60 meters I think the other thing that really... Well, we swapped the ropes as well. Oh, that's right. Thankfully. Jesus Christ. So, Alex has twins and Ryan has twins. Alex's twins are about bloody, you know, 10 years old probably. <laughs> the shoelaces and they're covered in blood and they've got more soft spots in the Michelin Man. And Ryan's got two brand new twins. So, it was a much safer alternative just to like one person climb with one shitty one and one person climb with one good one. Yeah, thankfully. And so... Yeah, we ended up having, or at least when I climbed Alex, it was his, his shoelace on the left and Ryan's on the right. And, you know, you were so happy to find gear on the right-hand side and clip that. And then, you know, you occasionally find something on the left and you'd be like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so what was the nature of, of the climbing? What kind of style was it? It's full of the fucking bits. <laughs> yeah, the so rock, the rock was the loose? Rock was, it was cooked, it was fried. Was Flaky. it loose or was it soft? Both. <laughs> it was you, you definitely, yeah. It there's, was, there's the type of thing like when you're stepping on stuff, but then you have to keep like brushing your shoes off in your pants because there's so much shit in your shoes. But also yeah. the point of it was like, you just get that orange, no, slightly overhanging orange bunny rock, and it's just actually actually falling to bits. Yeah, and it's like a stable, it's like a wet sand castle. You climb through section, the rock was actually pretty good, and yeah. that section should be like, fuck this. Yeah, mm. it's very mixed bag, I suppose. And the thing about the protection as well, like Ryan had like a lot of trouble finding pro because he's like, you can't see the pro until you right had it too. Like it's sort of slabby All the, where you look like you're going to get gear is nothing. And then you end up getting gear like somewhere peculiar where you can't mm. see it all until you're right there. Right. So you're making pretty uh, creative choices when it came to gear placements. Yeah. I mean, oh, yeah. I barely even led any part of <laughs> with me and Ryan because Ryan led the first pitch. Um, and yeah, that was like a good, good 50 or 60 or something like that. And then I went to lead pitch two. And then Ryan's I suggested I start up um start up this corner over here. And I went I got on the sledge and looked at this corner and there's no gear and it was like kind of like nails hard as well to get like I couldn't see where it would ease off as well as like get gear. And if you thought you just you have no gear, you just deck on the ledge. And I sort of had it was there for a little while, sussing around my you have the spidey sense in the back of your head and like, yeah, nah, this is not the way to go. Um and then I come back down to the blade and gave Ryan the lead. And then he just does, you know, he just shows how, how experienced he is. And he just sort of like ducked around the corner and found this like hidden bit of gear and then proceeded to like go up like another part of the line. And then for like another 60 meter pitch. Mm. <laughs> how about you? Like what was the first pitch? Like your first, the first, first pitch, pitch. Yeah, it looked pretty heinous. First pitch for us was like pretty chill for the first bit. And the rope drag was just so bad at the end that I ended up climbing like a different variant finish just on second, just so I didn't have to go all the way around this corner. And I kind of just like busted straight up through this like, you know, little 
reasonably steep section and kind of over this bulge and then just like beelines up to the tree. But it wasn't that. I think the it wasn't that hard either. It's probably like seventeen or something. And you were both saying that you haven't had a whole lot of like adventure trad climbing no, experience yeah. before this. Did that or was that really apparent in this situation? Alex and um, Kyle and myself had just come off. What do you, what would you call it? An adventure, oh, yeah. an adventurous couple of weeks or two weeks or so um, out at Mount Warning. And then Kyle and I went and spent a week in Girwin after Mount Warning together. So I think in, at least with my climbing, I was feeling pretty comfortable. We've been doing a lot of climbing, especially out at, bar, um, at Warning at least, God. Um, the rock is very similar. So the climbing we were doing out there was very similar style. Um, the rock was fried and that kind of thing. And so... It wasn't like we'd never climbed on that kind of rock, and I think it was definitely really good, and that calmed me a lot going and attacking this thing in Barney, because from what I'd heard so many stories about climbing on Mount Barney and the adventure trad routes and stuff, you just hear some pretty heinous, some mm-hmm. heinous stories, and it's always been, it's been a little bit scary in the back of my mind, trying something out there. It's always been quite an ominous mountain, I think. Mm. Long approaches, very hard to get to. Yeah, big days. Bad rock, bad pro. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. yeah, I think as I said before, it's, it's just a, such an interesting style of climbing where you never, you, you're, you're cautious. It's like a cautious style of climbing. You never really wait anything. And I think this is, this is a huge learning curve for me. And I realized this after the fact, I think, after the accident, I suppose. You just kind of not trust the rock a lot of the time, which really, you know, be careful, I suppose, yeah. Yeah, constant vigilance. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You've got to sort of pull so you don't, yeah, you don't pull it off. You've got to pull it in a certain direction. Everything <laughs> you have to test. You have to smack the hold. You've got to stand on it. You've got to really, like, give it a good yank if you're going to yard on it. And so, mm. yeah. So let's talk about when things started to go a little bit hair-shaped uh, for you, Dan. Well, that was... So Alex led the first pitch, stretched 60 metres, and he got to this beautiful fig tree um, that just is huge. The most ideal belay on the planet. Absolutely perfect belay, <laughs> you know, kind of in this, in this nice corner, this big fig tree that had a, it was, it was very established in the rock and a nice ledge, you know, probably like two or three feet wide. He set up a nice belay and he was kind of chilling. I got up there and he was all smiles because he'd done this pitch and it was, it was a pretty good pitch. It was fun. And um, I climbed up and, and th- by this stage, you boys were already, fuck, you were like on the third yeah, pitch. Yeah, because Ryan hiked the second pitch of yeah. our climb. So we were about, like, I think, yeah, one stage, like, we got up to the, the same level and then Ryan just yeeted up and like, yeah. I was already stacking that pitch and you were only just starting off. Yeah, and so I kind of got up to the belay. My feet hurt. <laughs> I wanted to take off my shoes, but then I was kind of like, oh, shit, we need to keep moving. And we sort of... Looking up from looking up from this tree and the belay, it was kind of this really like chossy looking corner way off to the right, and then up across the left with this white streak, with a with what looks like like off in the distance up high at this like perfect hand crack, and I remember looking on the topo with Alex, and we'd we'd seen on the topo that the dotted line kind of followed up this somewhat of a white streak. And so I think that's where the idea got planted in my head that I had to get to this white streak and that was where we where we thought the route went or whatever. And so I kind of set off on this second pitch, you know, like grabbed all the gear off Alex and set off on this pitch. 
and it was legit a tree climb for the first, you know, eight to ten meters. Like this, it was a, it was a probably decent size um fig tree, and so I was just climbing up this tree, kind of slinging branches. Thankfully, on the right hand side, I decided to go up to the left, and so I was clipping Ryan's rope. It's nice, like thick or nice, nice new half rope, and I was very happy. And I was kind of clipping away, and you know, Tarzaning up this tree, I suppose, with all this trad gear. And then I got to this ledge about 10 meters off the ground or off the um, belay at least. And it was sort of this perfect, you know, like thank God ledge on, on half dome, that photo of Alex Holland. It was kind of like that, but a bit more rounded and a little bit more sloped, but it wasn't that wide. It was probably only about two feet wide or something. And I basically just traversed directly left across there. And cause the, the, there was like this corner system that, um, this really like, shallow corner system that followed up to this crack and so I traversed along this ledge for a little bit and I think I, I put in I put in one of your um, 0.5x4s I think and then a janky nut clipped those both with rinds and then sort of kept traversing along and it was a decent traverse it was probably like you know 10, 10 meters or so along this ledge it was quite far and then I remember getting to um, the bottom of this this crack thing and there was sort of like this seamed seamed out corner that was only maybe a foot wide and it was I traversing to it you think that around the corner there's going to be like a perfect little hand crack up it or there's going to be there's going to be gear at least and you're just going to kind of lay back your way up it but it turned out that it was completely seamed out and there was a tiny little pod probably about five meters up yeah. just explain seamed out to someone that oh, might so, not uh, understand um, that um some crack that's not a crack. A know. crack that's not a crack, yeah. So where two two kind of um um sections of rock meet where you'd expect there to be a crack and you'd be able to put protection, but it's either almost so small that you can't place anything and you're you know, you're either resorting to like these blade pitons or you're just yeah, I don't know, you're looking for tiny little pods and stuff where you can fit it you can like wiggle in RPs or get in micro cans or whatever. And so I kind so of you could see one of those, I but it was a long way these, up. I could see a pod, and it looks like it looked big enough to have maybe like a 0. 0.4, 0. 0.5 kind of size can, but it was still five meters off this ledge. And um, oh, another thing. So my last piece of pro by that point was kind of way back along the ledge, and it was still like I was comfortable because I was standing on this ledge, and it was, it was still you know you have to be careful with your footwork kind of thing. You didn't want to slip off and take this like hectic pendulum fall so you the last piece of gear that you placed was right when you reached that ledge yeah it was pretty much at the top of this tree and at, on, on the ledge so it was oh it was and then there was that janky nut probably a couple of meters along the ledge so it was still it was still a couple of meters to my right though and I kind of had got to the bottom of this um this corner this seamed out corner and perfectly sitting at the bottom was this another small fig tree that wouldn't have been longer than my arm and it had this the base of it was probably no bigger than i don't know 50 mil probably yeah 50 50 no probably 50 or 60 60 60 at least i reckon and and i saw that and i thought oh well you know i don't have any other protection and i'm still i'm a bit run out and if i'm going to commit to this um corner i need something and so i slung this um this Basically, it was a root, a tiny little, well, it wasn't that small, I don't know, I, I slung this little fig tree root thing, and it was quite, because, you know, you're climbing on half ropes, the gear is always sparse, and you're trying to avoid the rope drag, and so I sort of slung this 
with a 120 sling, just girthed it. And then I thought, oh God, I don't know if that's extended enough even. So I put another 60, just like an Alpine drawer and clipped Alex's shoelace to it. And so I thought, oh, it was like the first, the first piece of gear that I clipped Alex's shoelace and it wasn't exactly confidence inspiring, I suppose. And then I sort of started up this corner and I pulled up into the corner and probably only like a meter off the ground in this corner. I was like, man, this is like insecure climbing. It's not fun to commit to. And this thing is seamed out. And I, and I think I did two or three more moves and I would have been at that stage. I was about like three meters off the ledge or yeah, thereabouts. I'd done a probably a couple more moves because I was, I was decently off the ledge far enough to look down and be like, I don't want to fall right now kind of thing. And, and I looked up and I was still a good couple of like two meters to this pod that I thought was going to be like get um, some gear in. And I, then I looked up above that as well. And above this little pod, it was still like this seamed out corner for a couple more meters. And then it was just a blank slab and then the perfect hand crack. So it was still like, it would have been a good, you know, six or seven, eight meters to this hand crack still. And I was just balking at this, really committing to this layback and going, trying to put some gear in this pod. I just kind of climbed up and then climbed down a couple of moves. And this went on for like two or three minutes. And I eventually, I eventually kind of, I look back on it naively now or whatever, but I eventually was like, you know what? Like, fuck it. I'm just going to go for it. And I pulled up and kind of like really got established in this corner as high. And it just became more and more insecure. And I was getting more and more run out. And I was like, this is cooked, like, no, fuck this, and so I started to kind of come down, so I was kind of in this, in this, like, little corner system, and I decided this, it was, it was not going to go, I was like, this is ridiculous, and so I was half down climbing, and I kind of went around the corner with my, with my right hand, and I found, like, what I thought was quite a decent, it was, like, quite a positive kind of underclean, so I sort of grabbed it, and I was pulling up down around the corner, so I was sort of lowering myself, and my feet were really just pasted on the wall. They weren't standing on a lot. And my hand was sort of just like smeared on the, like a ret of this small corner. And I was, I was, I was putting a lot of weight through this right hand, really pulling myself into the wall. And I, I gave it like a good yank before I grabbed onto it. And it seemed pretty bomber, but it was so, it was so um, positive and in cut that I thought, God, this is such a good hold for this kind of rock. I'm, I'm kind of lucky that it's here and then at the same time I was like okay and I was kind of pulling and pulling out and then just all of a sudden it was just like boom popped off and then I just I had a brief second where I was like shit and I was sort of just balanced there and I just peeled off the wall you know as you do with side climbing and then it was like fuck I'm in the air and then very quickly hit the ledge and then just bounced straight off it basically um, kind of bounced straight off it upside down and was still in the air and I, I, I remember just slamming into the wall with my shoulder and my elbow kind of thing, which was good because I kind of righted myself. I was sort of upside down inverted and then I sort of slammed in as I pendulum across. And all of this, I, I remember like hitting the wall and then being like, holy shit, I'm still falling. And that was a very, I hadn't experienced that before. I hadn't taken a whip big enough to be like, to register as like, holy shit, I'm still falling. And then all of a sudden I was hanging at the end of the rope and I was, and I, and I looked to my right and Alex's hand standing there on the blade being like, holy shit, what just happened? And, and, and I sort of looked up and I was hanging off, off Alex's shoelace off this tree root. And so it was still, it was basically what caught me in the end. 
and it was really, really lucky because, um, at least as far as the rescue went, we were, it was such a test, um, textbook rescue because Alex basically just had to lower me a tiny bit and I just had to kind of like reach out across the rock and he could sort of click came off and reached out to me and was able to pull me back into the blade relatively easily. And then I sort of got back to the blade and sat down and took a look at my ankle. I was like, shit, my ankle hurts a lot. And the shock just set in really quickly. And it was more the fact that it wasn't so much that I was in pain with my ankle, but it was like, holy shit, look where we are. We're like pretty remote right now. And how are we going to get out of here? And that was the biggest thing that sort of like set in initially there, I suppose. How far do you think you felt? I think it... It would have it would have been at least thirteen meters or something. I think twelve or thirteen meters. Like it was it was a ways onto the ledge, and then it was the whole way down this this face, like the whole part that I'd climbed this tree, and then Alex literally. I was I was next to Alex on the belay basically, so definitely one of the the bigger whips I've taken. But um. And just going back to uh the moments before you fell, um, I mean, did you consider? like down climbing was that a possibility yeah so when I when I fell I was actually basically down climbing I'd started to down climb I'd just been like no this is cooked I'm not going to commit to this but it was yeah in reality I definitely should have probably done that earlier or just looked at it you in 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 hindsight now I suppose and as Kyle was talking about before you could just look at that section and be like no that's that's just too dangerous to climb like we're just too insecure it's just not enough protection. So what was kind of spurring you on in that moment when the maybe whole, you should have gone down? Yeah, the whole kind of naive, the naivety of it all, maybe me also being the least experienced uh, member of our team, I suppose, but also by far the youngest member and kind of uh, maybe also wanting to prove myself a little bit to the boys, even though I'd done so much climbing with the boys and I felt very comfortable with them like easily the most comfortable of any of my climbing partners, I suppose. But it was still kind of in the back of the head. I was like, I want to, I want to, it was more, I want to pull my weight in this team. You know, I want to get us to the top as well. And, you know, this is, this is what it takes to get to top, I suppose. And in reality, that's just not, it's just not the truth. It's not, it's not the fact, you know, like mm. I should have come down and gone up that huge kind of really it looked trossy at the time it was much more overhung but the gear would have been much better on this like way off to the right up this corner system so mm-hmm. yeah yeah so kyle uh where were you when all of this happened and when did you first become aware that there was a problem mm. yeah <clears throat> so we're when like you're about 60 meters up like you yeah up that first pitch and we had gotten one pitch which is about yeah 50 or 60 and then Ryan did the second, which is probably a good 60 as well. And I was pretty much just setting off, off that belay to do the third pitch. And I'd only gotten up probably three metres. I just slung a tree. And then um, and all I, all I heard, it was the same sort of scream I heard at Mount Warning. Yeah. And I said, ah! <laughs> but then you hear, like, you know, shaking of gear and, like, it almost sounded like gear had ripped. And I couldn't see Dan, because Dan and Alex were still about 30 metres to our left and around the corner. And then I heard silence, and I was like, fuck, they're dead. And that was like a pretty, that's like one of the most hectic feelings I've had, most hectic moments of my life. And then it was instantly like, fuck, yeah, Dan climbed back down the ledge. And then we're trying to call you and you and Alex, and you weren't picking up, which wasn't very fucking helpful. 
And it was we real, yelled, really stressed you out. You yelled out to us. Yeah, we were yelling out to you. You weren't really answering. But once I actually heard you speak, like I heard, I heard like you, I heard you, you obviously weren't all right, but I actually heard you. Like, okay, he's, he's alive. Yeah. But something's wrong, clearly wrong. And we were trying to get out of him because, you know, we're still like a long way away. We can't really talk to each other very clearly. And um, eventually we got, um, I think Alex gave us a call and said you like, you probably broken your ankle. Hmm. Oh, fuck. Righto. Now we've got to start this, uh, start get the motions going. Yeah, so legit. Like then, said, like couldn't have gone more smooth, smoothly. Like oh. Alex has run, well, Alex runs vertical rescue courses. Dan has done one of those vertical rescue courses. Ryan works at Mount Bunny Lodge and like is always prepared for like if stuff happens or, like with these clients, you know, like he's got all the information to tell the emergency services. My dad's a um, a firefighter as well and has talked me through this sort of stuff before, so I sort of half knew what was going on. And I gave him a call just to give him the heads up as well. You called your dad, who called my, yeah. is a vertical rescue yep. specialist in yeah, the so fire he, service. Yeah, so he's like a uh, level two vertical rescue, swift water, and access rescue. And he's actually on holidays, <laughs> but I still <laughs> called him. and said, like, "This is what's going on, righto? This is what you do." He sort of gave me like the steps, like like to get the motions going. You know, and Ryan already sort of knew this as well. What had to happen? We had to really bunch, get down to Dan. And then make our assessment of what we're actually going to do, and then get the ball rolling with like actually calling triple yeah. zero and starting like a rescue. So was it going to be difficult for you from the position you were in, you know, thirty meters away from them to get to where they were? Mm. But it was a real quite higher too. So we were probably in, we were probably about like a hundred and ten meters um, off the ground, and they were only about sixty. So we just did two wraps, I think, down to get to. Where, where they were just traversing like on rappel and we just left um a couple of nuts which i think ryan booted as well so no profit no, no booty <laughs> nothing really lost there and then we wrapped up a a, a tree i always carry like a bit of um tubular webbing with a with a mallion i put that around the this shitty fig tree and then yeah sort of swung down and then traversed along this big ledge to get across where they were and um yeah, once we were all on the team, then we sort of talked about him and what we're going to do. I remember you saying, he's like, I'm not getting a chopper. Yeah, I was so And stressed. I think everyone would have thought the same thing. It was like, yeah. Because in, well, at that stage, also in the back of my mind, you know, it's it's such a silly thing to think, but it was still in the, it was still, actually, it was in the forefront of my mind, at least. I was like, I don't want to be that dude that got heli backed out of Mount Barney. I don't want to have a helicopter called on me, you know? Yeah, it's like, I'm, so I'm not worth that much. No, well, like, <laughs> it's, yeah, like, it's just like, it's like my ankle's busted. It's not like I've got a broken leg or something, but yeah, yeah. it very, very quickly became apparent that, you know, it wasn't, there weren't a lot of other options to get out of there. Why is that? Just explain what the terrain's like there. Well, for starters, I think, um, Getting the walk in, the hike in is very. Carl, you think you should explain this? You know Barney better than I do. Well, yeah, and as far as Barney goes, like it's actually yeah, it's really not that bad. It's not like you're getting to the the east face of Barney where the governor is. Like that's really hard. You have to do like three hours of hiking or whatever it is, and then like you have to do an abseil and then like a traverse, like walk on like you know pretty terrible terrain to get to the climb itself. Mm. And where this was, like it's quite open country for the first like hour or so. And then you start to get into the face and it starts getting more rocky. So really, you can do like a stretcher rescue from like, you know, from that position. But thinking about it from my, from my experiences and what my dad has had, like majority of firefighters are only like a level two, which is basically 
Uh, like they can do Veldikoreski and do all that sort of stuff, but it's kind of out of their league, and that sort of goes into where this like level three remote rescue is. In remote rescue, rescue they do like the rescues on Tibbo and all that sort of stuff. They're kind of not really equipped to go out and like to these remote areas. So I sort of already know it's going to take a very, very, very long time for them to get all the way to us and then all the way back up to the car. Well, they didn't exactly know where we were as well. Kind of, it took us a good, you know, hour and a little bit to get into where we were, and you know. We knew exactly, or at least you guys knew exactly where you were going. Mm. And so it would have taken like quite probably two and a half hours for the SCS team to really figure out where we were. Once we, we basically decided to perform like a really simple um, single point, um, single repel um, down and, you know, Kyle basically cradled me in his arms like a baby. <laughs> And and uh, you got very close. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's a photo. There's that photo. Yeah, that yeah. I took. Yeah. It's a good photo. Yeah. But and that's not like once we actually made the assessment of like okay, we actually got to call the emergency services. Then, like, it's going to be very hard for them to get us where we are, and we're you know capable of us like to get down from where we yeah. are. So we, um, uh, we end up just having you know, Ryan and like Ryan lowered me, I think, and Alex lowered Dan or something yeah. like that. Anyway. Yeah. And I don't think we were actually connected to each other. They were, they were just lowering us at the same time, you know. Well, we were actually connected to each other. Oh, we were? Yeah, okay. it was like an alpine twins. Yeah. Just explain that upsell with a patient setup that you guys did. It was basically me like just abselling down normally, but I, I'm not abselling. I haven't got a rope. I'm getting it's lower down. It's more of a lower. Yeah, you're getting, getting lower, lower down. And same thing as Dan. And Dan is kind of like laying across the wall, I suppose, and I've got my legs out pushing against the rock, and I'm sort of cradling him with my hands trying to keep him off the wall. Because you don't want to just let him just we were very down, lucky. Down the yeah, very lucky in that scenario that you we could afford to do that because there's four of us, and so you can have, you know, one person controlling one rope, one person controlling other, and lowering two people at the same time. Whereas, you know, if you're in a scenario where um, there's only two of you, you'd have to do like a fixed point up the top. You'd have to leave your rope, and you would have to abseil yourself, controlling the device with a patient. It would be a lot more complicated. So I think, yeah, we were very lucky from the point of view that there was four of us. We had four 60-meter ropes <laughs> in the days. So. We definitely had, like, the gear at our disposal, I suppose, or they did. Yeah. And you were one rope length off the ground at that point? Yep. Well, that's lucky. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, that, yeah. Was, that was another thing that was just so textbook about the rescues, be able to get lowered straight off this fig tree. And it was a decent, it was a decent repel, like, in a straight line it would have been, you know, mm. 45, 50 most ideal Easily situation, like, yeah. like being able to actually self-rescue, because we had that Skill. knowledge and experience, like yeah. between all of us as well, to um to get us down. It's yeah, so see. lucky that every single one of you had vertical rescue skills. It is. Yeah. It really does make a difference. Like I say, like it's text, it's textbook, but it's also like then everyone's already on the same page of what's yeah, going to happen. I think that's one of the biggest which is, things. Yeah, one of the biggest things because like, you can you really when everyone is aware of what's going on and they understand. They don't understand necessarily, like, they understand why it's happening. It's not just, like, pass me this, do this, tie this knot. It's, like, we need to, we need, do we have this goal of getting to the ground? What do we need to do to achieve it? And then when everyone is, knows what's going on, can understand, it makes, it makes for a much uh, simpler rescue, I think. Mm. Or, and for you as the injured person, too, understanding how exactly. that was going to work so, for you. I mean, I still had to actually, I mean, I, I had to freaking strap my, I ended up strapping my own ankle you instructed me and Alex. I mean, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and and while the boys were like Alex and and Alex and Ryan were sort of like sorting out the ropes for the rappel and, and Kyle and I were sort of setting ourselves up for it and like getting in position and stuff and everyone was really still working together. 
but it's like ultimate goal to just get to the ground sort mm. of thing. Well, when and when it actually, actually like we realised it happened, like with me and Ryan, like oh, I came back down the ledge and like I was already setting up like a bail as mm. Ryan was on the phone because you obviously know that something's yeah. up and we had, you know, gear ready. I started like, you know, coming down like flaking the ropes and, you know, so there's no like delay of time. Yeah. Because really if the worst, you know, like the scenario is worse than it actually is, that means like every time is like Time's such a commodity. Yeah. yeah. Mm. So, yeah. what happened once you got down to the ground? Um, well, once we got down to the ground, and that's like I stayed with Dan as well um, until the boys got down with it. Um, then once they abseiled back down, and then Ryan stayed with Dan, and then me and Alex, uh, or Alex and I, we ran back out to the um, Portals car park, which are very impressive by cross country skills. Um, yeah, how long's that run? We actually we have filled a few times. It's pretty. Oh, it's not that far. And I've done that pretty much that pretty much that section of walk like quite a few times. Well. At the, yeah, and at the end of like twelve hour days, so it was kind of like I feel fresh. It's like let's go, yeah. and um, that was good. And then we um ended up running running back into the portals car park and all the fires that they had like oh must be them. <laughs> and then um yeah, there was a fair crew there. There was the SES. Um, uh, there was the Rathdowney. The Rath Downey station, there was um, the Narang Fire Station, there was a guy from the press. Um, yeah. Just on another note though, when we started, I, I was carrying an EPIRB on me. For whatever reason, I had decided that I was going to carry an EPIRB on me that day that we went out. And I think, I know, I think between us, we had the single EPIRB on us. But the, one of the biggest factors that, um, like, beside everyone being comfortable with one another and the skills and stuff, the biggest factor that made the rescue so smooth was we still had phone reception on the side of the mountain. And so we were able to, like Ryan was able to call straight to Barney Lodge. Kyle was able to call his dad straight away. So then we get straight onto, you know, triple um, zero or whatever and like really get the ball um, rolling with it. Whereas, you know, if we were in a scenario we didn't have phone service and it's like, well, shit, you know, bust out the EPIRB, send out a signal. And it's the process would have taken so much longer because, you know, the single would have been sent out to freaking emergency service whatever and they'd be like what's this on the side of mount barney kind of thing and it would have taken a lot longer and i think Mm. in 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 reality from when the accident happened to um getting chopped out yeah getting chopped out or whatever it it literally was only about two hours i think which is pretty hectic considering where we were but it is so good that you were carrying an epub did you carry it because you always carry it, or did you carry it because you weren't sure what reception would be like? I carried exactly the, the second. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't know if we were going to have reception or anything like that. And I thought, you know, especially with these adventure routes, you know, you just you can't be you can't be prepared enough. I suppose. I mean, if you get taken to an epic, you know, you're like twelve hours in, your phone runs out of battery. Yeah, you're really in shit. Then the idea was that we're going to get the the chopper to pluck him out, and we started walking in with the SES and the fire is to stretch a Dan if we needed to, to a place where he could get plucked out from. Because, you know, there's still, uh, it was pretty, you know, bushy. There was trees above, like... At the base, yeah. Where, where I got lowered down to, and I was sort of just sitting there with Ryan on a little nice, like, rope, rope bed, I suppose. Sort of sitting in the trees. There were still a lot of trees around us. And Ryan and I were just chatting away kind of thing, and... There was a probably like 50 meters so left, there was kind of slabs there. And by this, this was by the stage that we'd established that 
that a helicopter was coming. Like we'd had a confirmation call. We'd been on the phone with the people, the guys in the chopper. And I was starting to get wigged out, but I was like, holy shit, there's a chopper coming. And then very quickly, you know, like 10 minutes out, you can already hear it. You can hear the thing coming in and you're like, this is actually happening. And, but I thought initially that I was going to have to make my way over like with Ryan, but make my way over to these kind of slabs, 50 meters over to the left through this really jungle bushy territory still. And I was a bit stressed about that. I was like, man, that's not going to be very good. And um, backwards and forwards after we, we were on the phone with the chopper guys and they'd been around Barney like two or three times before they actually were able to like locate where we were. Um, they sort of came in straight over the top of us, hovered over us, and I will never forget how violent the ex- – like for want of a better term or just like so aggressive the experience was. It was so loud that it physically hurt my ears. Like I was almost, you know, wanting to shield my ears. And the other thing was – it was just raining sticks and just debris on us. It was, ins- I was so happy I was wearing my helmet as well. And the kind of the chopper came straight over the top of us about 30 or 40 meters off the ground. The trees were quite high and, and then just hovered there for probably, I don't know, 15 or 20 seconds. And then they pulled away and they kind of hovered up out in the valley, not too far away. And they sat there for two or three minutes and I was wondering what they were doing and we didn't really know. And, you can't really, you can barely even talk to the person next to you, even with the chopper that far away, it's so loud. And all of a sudden, they sort of just rolled in and basically directly over the top of us. And this dude just jumped out of the cargo door and just started getting lowered down through the trees. And he was just like a rag doll, just getting smashed in the trees and kind of just going. He got to the ground and he kind of like unbuckled himself and the zip line went back up to the thing and he ran over to me and was like, kind of like, he would grab your head like this and just like yell in your ear and then you'd be like, uh-huh, kind of thing. And you do what he says and he's instructing you and stuff. And he like busted out his little pouch and kind of took out this funny little harness and, and sort of put me in this odd little harness and basically started, started getting me ready to get winched out. And, you know, I was trying to help him the best I could and, and whatnot. And he sort of, it's it was a weird experience coming from the perspective of a climber who um you kind of know your rope systems you know your safety systems you know kind of what's going on and so I was looking at him sort of he put me in this weird kind of tarp like um harness I didn't have to go on a stretcher because I was able to kind of low um isolate my ankle a little bit and really like you know it wasn't it wasn't really that bad it wasn't stretcher worthy so he put me in this harness and kind of like brought together all these little um, rings or points and just clipped them all together just with a single like straight gate. And I was looking at this and I was like, whoa, this, I mean, I'm sure this is bomber, but you know, and I, I saw this, my safety on my harness and I was almost, I was almost inclined to just take my safety off my harness and just like clip it to this muscle point as well. Just going to have that backup. Because initially he was like the poor bloke he had like his big gloves on and he's kind of like under stress because the chopper is hovering above us and everything. And he drops one of the, um, he dropped one of the clips clipping everything together for me. And so the, the underneath, like they came up through my legs, wasn't even clipped. It kind of fell down to ground. And then he went off and did other things. And I was like, Holy shit. Like, does he realize that he hasn't clipped this underneath my thing? So I kind of like picked it up and I was holding it there and I didn't know what to do. And then all of a sudden he saw it and he like kind of like took it out of my hand and reclipped and he was kind of fumbling around this big carabiner and his gloves, whatever. And it ended up being absolutely fine, and and then we 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 got winched out, and that was a that was a hectic experience as well, because I was 
so pumped full of adrenaline and I couldn't believe what was happening basically at the time we were getting winched out and he was sort of over the top of me kind of thing, kind of like shielding me and we, would, we were just getting smashed into these trees and there were sticks and stuff and branches coming down on us and finally once we sort of busted out through the through the canopy the chopper was still like a ways above the canopy you can't you didn't really like realize how high it was that was a bit of a surreal experience and I kind of looked up briefly and looking around and he just like grabs my head and just pushes straight back in my chest he's like keep your head down and then all of a sudden you know you get winched up into the cabin and you're sitting in the cabin there and there's all these dudes around you kind of looking at you and you're, you're flying away from Mount Barney. You're kind of looking out the window and there's Mount Barney just disappearing in the background. And you've got like, you're looking at Mount Lindsay there and you know, the scenic rims eventually slowly disappearing behind you. And it was, that was pretty crazy. Were you trying to figure out where the line was as you were flying I was, away? I was, I was looking at us <laughs> and I was like, I was, I was curious how high we were and how much further we had to go. And in hindsight, because I think the accident happened at probably like, I don't know maybe 12 or something in the afternoon or it was, it was like, yeah, it was like 12 o'clock or something. But um, by the time we were, I was in the chopper, actually, you know, I remember because by the time I was in trouble, it was three o'clock. And so the whole rescue took about three hours or so, but I was definitely looking back and we still had like a, a decent way to get up on isolate. Like it would have been a big, big day if we kept pushing, but it would have, it was doable. It sounds to me like you did a lot of stuff right. You were wearing helmets. You mm. had an EPIRB. You immediately called for help and sort of had that entire rescue process pretty dialed. What did you learn from that experience? When when to push it and when not to push it. That that very and that's one thing that I've learned a lot from this from this experience, and I think it's very applicable. And it's. It's, it's learning when to back off is basically that's as fundamental as it comes down to. And it's, and it's learning when to back off because it is just, it's past um, the point where you are comfortable as a climber or whatever, where your, where your risk is you've pushed a limit and you're like, this is too dangerous. I'm not comfortable kind of thing. Or when at least, you know, it's, it's all good and well to be, you know, climbing and you're like, oh, I'm really scared right now. It's going to be a really big fall, but if the fall is clean, the gear is good, or you're on bolts, whatever. It's, it's almost like a um, an irrational risk or fear. Whereas when it definitely comes into the realm of the rational, you're like, I could really get hurt right now, or like we're in a pretty serious environment or kind of remote or whatever. That's when you really the risk perception there kind of changes, and it's like, okay, I need to back off this, and I need to understand that that's when I need to back off this, or that's not worth it, or like whatever I think and I think Kyle is very good at it at at really assessing it and being like this is too dangerous I'm not going to do this or like just assessing it really early on in the picture not not getting up there kind of like I did and being like oh shit this is this is kind of sketchy this is kind of dangerous and then sort of as I was coming down from it and then you know had the rock break on me and Jesus like I mean it was a pretty unlucky experience it was definitely like the hold broke and you happen to be by the ledge. Yeah. So, double whammy. Yeah, if the ledge wasn't there, it just would have been a huge whip, but it would have been... Yeah, it would have been sick. Would have been cool. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I, mean, yeah, I suppose, it would yeah, it would have been like that huge whip that you took on Barney that one time. Off and it would have been like, yeah! Exactly, but it's not like that. <laughs> yeah. Like I haven't really been climbing since then, so no. I'll, I'll address this one to Kyle. Since then, have you 
has that played on your mind, that idea of, you know, backing off, acknowledging that something is maybe past the limit of scary and onto unsafe? Yeah. I'll link this on to, like, back, like, I got into climbing from bushwalking and Dad was, like, a really good mentor for that in, like, studying in bushwalking. I think you get a really good risk assessment from that. And, you know, I think this is, like, observation. You know, you just got to get used to looking at these things and, you know, trial and error. So I think it's very good to, you know, have these experiences, like, you know, sort of like, mind, you know, these little experiences to prepare yourself for other stuff that happens. You know what I mean? Like, being from trad climbing, like doing, um, like, slightly sketchier trad routes to build up for, like, sometimes you, you're going to try something a bit more, like, you know, Skull and crossbones, you sort of thing. You're trying, you're working your way up enough that, but you still got to check yourself in the deep end a few times and have like these experiences to learn from them because you got to know how it feels. Um, like, and I was saying before, like, dad's mentored me in like, like being a fiery, so I've like, I've sort of prepared for the moment, I suppose, in the event of having like the situation. Um, and one of the things is obviously like slowing down, like, you know, like your adrenaline's going, even for us, you know, I mean, to the rescue, like, we're like, fuck, okay, right, we got to go. And your heart rate's up and whatever. And you, you tell yourself, it's like, okay, slow, slow it down, you know, don't make any mistakes. You know, it's very easy, like, from, uh, very easy to make a mistake when you're in the moment to try and go help someone else and then fuck yourself up. Well, so, maintain the safety. Sort of yeah, thing. and basically, and I was like, it took, I, I went to tie, like, an, a, um, a uh, double fisherman's bend to tie the ropes together. And, like, if I fucked it up, like, twice. And I was like, okay. Calm down. I even I yeah. and I was and I had to say okay, okay right, clear your mind and just calm down and just step by step. Because mm. you're in those moments and you're just like, like I'm, all I'm thinking about is about you. It's like hope down's alright, you know, like really got to get down to like yeah, fast. Mm, and totally. Mm. If you just back yourself off like twenty percent, you'll go faster. Mm. You make less mistakes. Mm. My partner Andrew always says that slow is fast yeah. in those situations. Absolutely, so true. So true. So true. Yeah. Um, so Dan, I'm looking at you right now and you're wearing your moon boot. My How is your recovery boot. going? Slow, but it's getting there. Um, I get my moon boot off on Monday, hopefully. So that's going to be a huge step forward for me. Mm. I, I personally think that you'll bounce back really well. All right. Quick lightning round. Say someone is listening to this and going, that route sounds pretty sweet. Well, I'm going to go do it. What's the one thing that they should do or bring or know to be prepared? Don't go out your door. It's not <laughs> no, that I great. reckon. <laughs> oh. If you're like hell's bells, you really want to go and do this route. Just, I mean, you obviously have a helmet, so wear that. Oh, I honestly, <laughs> I reckon, I reckon be experienced, be smart about how you climb. Do climbing on that kind of rock. Go and climb that kind of thing. Go and do a bunch of adventure trial on Mount Maroon. Go and do some stuff on Barney. Go and do some stuff on other places. Go and do some stuff on Tibro. And I think another thing with those Mount Barney routes is it's not just the climbing that's going to get you. It's you need to have the approach dialed. You need to know where you're going. You need to know how you're going to get off the mountain as well because it's, it's going to be a long fucking day. If you do do the route, it's going to be like 
you're getting up in the dark, you're walking in the dark, you're going to be walking out in the dark most likely. Mm. So really having those sections dialed so that you the really the only unpredictable or what you have to deal with is the actual rock climbing. Actually, as I far think. as ad, as advice go, and this is especially for Barney, but also like other wild mm. places, that you really got to respect the mountain. Yeah. Yeah, like yeah. the... That's a good... That's a really good... Like, it can say. give you a really good time, obviously. You know, you can have a really good day or whatever, but I think it can humble you really easily if you let your guard down. Like, mm. don't get complacent. Don't get lazy and just be like, oh, yeah, no, she's all good. You know, this will be a piece of cake. Um, yeah, then you can suddenly become in like a 12-hour benightment. And then, you know, maybe someone will get hurt. Mm. Kyle Addy? Dan Cox, thank you so much for sharing your story with me. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for listening to the very first episode of The Bail List. These episodes will be released monthly. Stay tuned for a sneak peek at next month's episode. For the very latest from the podcast, follow at The Bail List on Instagram. Tag a friend in any of our posts there and you could win one of five vouchers to Adventure Reels TV who generously supported today's episode. The Bail List is also proud to partner with Wild Earth, our exclusive outdoor gear provider. The Bail List pays respect to the Yugen Bear Language Group, the traditional custodians of the land on which this story took place. We acknowledge the Yugen Bear people as the original storytellers of this land. And now, a sneak peek at next month's episode. You just, I just felt myself go weightless in an instant. And I remember, like Sam Kujer's earlier saying, be careful, I locked eyes with her. Like, right, because she was, I'm pretty sure she was belaying. I locked eyes with her right as the rope went through it, and you just, you can feel the rope. I don't know if you've ever seen a rope go through a grigri under load, but it shoots into the air, like, like slingshots into the air. And I just, I looked at her, and I went, uh oh, <laughs> and just dropped.